Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the managing director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. If you're a regular listener or watcher here of Salt Talks, you know how enthusiastic we are about the digital asset space. And so we're very excited today to bring you the latest episode of the Salt Crypto Show, which is brought to you by FTX. Our guest today is Luca Constantino. Uh, Luca is the head of crypto at Cross River which focuses on building technology that will enable fintech players to offer crypto-based services to their users. Uh, Luca joined Cross River in July of 2021 to close the gap between the 2.5 billion people who have access to digital banking services and the 250 million crypto users already in the marketplace. Uh, Luca has strong expertise in leading product management, go-to-market, data, and engineering in both large and startup companies. Uh, prior to Crossover, Luca was with Oasis Labs, where he created the first scalable and privacy-preserving smart contract platform that is now live in mainnet and fully decentralized. He's also built, launched, and managed products at Google, PayPal, American Express, and Procter & Gamble. Uh, he holds a bachelor's degree in engineering and industrial management. Uh, he also has an MBA from the University of California, Berkeley Haas School of Business. Uh, when his focus is not on the crypto team at Crossover, Luca is also an active angel investor and advisor to companies. Uh, some recent investments include Gumroad, Kift, and Asak. Uh, Luca is excited about companies building infrastructure layers to support complex and enormous markets, especially in fintech. And Luca, it is a pleasure to have you on here. Uh, I love the hire from Cross River to bring you in uh, to run their crypto division uh, last year. It shows their ambition to build in the space. So it's a pleasure to have you on. Let's talk more about that background. You know, we, I think I personally, and we are fascinated by this flow of really talented people into the crypto space. You obviously have a very diverse background, having spent time at major consumer companies like Procter & Gamble, at major uh, financial firms like American Express, major tech companies like Google and PayPal. What led you uh, to get enthusiastic about crypto and, and lead you into this industry? Yeah, hi, hi, John. Hello, everyone, and and thanks a lot for for having me here today. Um, my interest in crypto goes back to 2013, when for the first time, while I was an intern at a payments company, I I really opened one of these uh, news uh, papers or or whatever, and and it talked about Bitcoin as uh, something that moved from being nothing to Three hundred dollars in value, right? And the headline was not a headline; it was maybe like a little bottom right, you know, bottom right small title. But still, I said, "What is that?" Brings smart people, mostly in Silicon Valley, thinking that there's going to be a future for uh, a new thing, right? Okay, sure, it could be another speculation, whatever. But I think it's going to be interesting. So I took a look at that. Um, I took a look at the price more than the actual technology. But by the fact that I was having this token in my wallet and by the fact that I could move this money between one wallet to another one and see the wallet of like the balance of one wallet go down and the balance of a wallet go up without me doing anything uh, like registering 
it was seeing having a call center or having any of those things, I was like, wow. And 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 the real the real thing that clicked to me without knowing much about payments and without anything was, wait, I just did that on a Sunday uh, with no questions whatsoever. And now people are recognizing that little unit that I just moved uh, universally without me explaining anything. Like if I, if you think about it, that's actually incredible, right? Especially 10 years ago. So I kept that interest in crypto, but Honestly, I didn't spend much time on the actual tech or on the actual white papers or on the actual bigger philosophy until 2017 when I moved to Berkeley and I stumbled upon what became the largest community of students in blockchain in the world. And that to me was the moment where I started thinking of some of the problems that I previously seen in, in my previous jobs in product at uh, companies that are very heavy on data. And... I thought, wait, maybe there is an application of this for exactly one of the problems that I stumbled upon, which was this idea that you join a company um, and you as a, you know, like a, like, like an intern of, of one of these companies, you need data to do something. And so what you do is that you go uh, into a portal, you say, I need access to this table. Someone in some other geography who has never seen you says, okay, you need it for sure because you've been hired. So now you have access to all the database of a company or some part of the database of a company. And you can literally do anything with that. Now, if you're an honest actor, you don't do anything. But if you're not an honest actor, then you do a bunch of things that five years later may become uh, the Cambridge Analytical uh, analytical uh, uh, issue, right? And so I said, okay, what if we change that paradox and we we, instead of, moving the data uh, to the computation, we move the computation to the data and we keep the data confined. What is the issue? The issue is that then you need to rely on this box. Okay, so now I can apply blockchain on top of that. And by by decentralizing that, if I have multiple boxes that say the same thing, it means that either the network is corrupted or the boxes are working fine. And that prompted me to do some research, wanting to start this blockchain protocol. I joined forces with a UC Berkeley professor, and we built the Oasis network. From that moment, my life almost changed because I moved from being a crypto curious person to becoming maybe within the top 1% experts in the world in crypto, right? And uh, that market became bigger and bigger and bigger. I started understanding the unlimited possibilities. I spent time thinking about what is next for blockchain. I developed this underlying thesis that the next billion users in crypto or blockchain are actually going to come from trusted interfaces and not so much from, call it MetaMask or decentralized wallets. And so I embraced the concept of progressive decentralization. And I started thinking that the step one is putting coins in the hands of as many people as possible. The step number two is um, showing them that they can do more with these coins. And step number three will be teaching them the concept of uh, self-hosted wallets, key management, or uh, multi-party computation, or everything that has to do with like getting more and more possession of your of your coins. Um, and uh, by uh, uh, and by doing that, I picked the place that would allow me to build the best possible uh, infrastructure for enabling these companies to offer crypto to their users. And I thought there would be no better place than a regulated entity 
uh, that does infrastructure and doesn't compete with their customers to actually build these old rails that overlap compliance and uh, technology to offer crypto to, uh, again, the next billion users. That's fantastic. Um, you know, like you said, you you made the move from having built your own blockchain to to coming into a, a banking institution that's always been very focused on technology. But could you tell us more about Cross River and its decision to continue to push you know, deeper into the digital asset space by bringing you into the fold? Absolutely. So um, Cross River is um, very strong in technology and banking. And if you think about the uh, um, as a service model in financial services, one of the biggest issues that are there in the market is that the technology providers are often disconnected from uh, the underlying banking policies. And that causes a lot of issues to the founders because uh, while the, te the technology enables something, the underlying policies may not support that. This is true in everything in crypto, uh, everything in fintech. It is definitely true uh, in crypto. And Crossriver has been going to market over the past few years with this unique value proposition that uh, we could enable companies to access payment rails, to access banking rails, and to access lending rails, right? All through an alignment of technologies and, and policies, which is what makes us very, very unique in the market. We have been behind uh, companies like Stripe, Plaid, Affirm, uh, and most importantly, the crypto world Coinbase. We have been the first, we were the first bank giving services to Coinbase back in time in 2015. And I love to think that Coinbase would not be here without the help of a company like ours. So to some extent, you can argue that the company has been in crypto, that Crossriver has been in crypto for quite enough time, even though we never touched crypto before. Um, when the company realized that these customers were coming for the fiat rails and also asked for crypto services, then it was very obvious that the narrative was um, at the intersection of crypto and fiat. And the next thing to do was like being serious about crypto and hiring what we call a crypto native team, which every day shows up at work, uh, trying to push the envelope a little bit on the next thing that needs to be done in order to make sure that we comply with the safety and soundness requirements of a bank, as well as the, all the compliance rules that we need to observe. And we really spend our day thinking about how to do something uh, and how to enable our partners, which is our ultimate motivation. In crypto, um, across river, we think that crypto is essentially three things. That's how that's the framework we have. Um, crypto is uh, first of all a new rails for uh, money, and in that sense, is it, we try to see it as an enhancement of uh, fiat money. The second one is uh, a new financial system. So if you think about users like you and I and other millions of people, we want to do something more, and this. We want to participate in this financial system by either buying, selling, or paying, or borrowing, right, in, in the crypto world. And then the third thing, which is something that I think the market is not really speaking a ton about, is that crypto is effectively a new rail for data and for standardized information. And so one of the things that we do is thinking about how are bank-specific areas, call it compliance or syndication or, or loan management, right, all these things that require heavy information sharing going to be enhanced by uh, crypto. And then you can start thinking of use cases where compliance is no longer a layer on top of the dollar but or a gateway to the dollar, but ends up being something embedded into the token that travels on the blockchain and, and so on and so forth. Um, again, we're very proud that as an institution, we can combine the software layer with the policy layer. 
horizontally with a crypto native team, which understands crypto and strongly believes in the crypto uh, future uh, in these three areas that are just identified. So you talked about the, that first uh, bullet point that you went through, that it's new payment rails for money. You know, some people come to the crypto world from a Bitcoin maximalist perspective where they think Bitcoin is going to become the new global reserve currency. Uh, you know, they're not as enthusiastic about Ethereum or other DeFi tokens or DeFi generally. You have other people that are that are more bullish on sort of some of the real world applications of blockchain technology to improve data sharing and compliance and some of the things that you mentioned. Um, how do you think, let's let's look, let's say 10 years into the future. Do you think that we have uh, countries that have central bank digital currencies? Do you think that we'll see stable coins continue to grow in terms of their use, replacing other, you know, marketing or, or money rails for dollars, if you will? Uh, but what do you think that the future of, of money really looks like, let's say, in a decade of time? I think everyone agrees that frameworks uh, are guiding principle or are, are helpful to guide, but not necessarily to provide all the answers. And so I generally reject everything that is associated to maximalism because I do think that there's so many use cases and so many new use cases that we cannot even imagine that are going to come up over the next 50 years that trying to reduce them to existing frameworks and models will barely not work. Even if you look at the best companies today, right? People have been... By the time people try to figure out whether a company was a software company, a data company, a hardware company, a supply chain company, or, or anything else, the company became so big that there was a new model, right? So I try to stay away from, from that. But I do think that there are fundamental problems that it's almost unbelievable that we still have in 2023 at this point, almost. Um, one of these being access to financial services. Everyone is talking about it. But most importantly, even within the financial services, even after all the compliance requirements that are there, or even after all the friction that you have when dealing with financial services, especially in the US, still money takes time to travel. And to me, that's, that's still like almost unbelievable, right? I can send an email to you. I only need an address. But if I want to send you $5, I need to call you. I need to know what platform you want the money on. I need to know a bunch of details. I need to do a copy paste, like a bunch of complexity. Or, and often I cannot do it over the weekend. I mean, you heard that, that everyone heard that argument before. So I think, I think to me, what we're learning now is that a lot of companies are starting to think of crypto, not just as a financial services system, but as a, as a really like an announcement of the dollar, right? So the use cases that we really think um, are really strong are the uh, stable coin money movement as an extension of the dollar in a decentralized way. Essentially, people have removed this need for companies to get together and align on what standard they will use. The standard is there. It's up to you to uh, grab it and adapt it. And the success that companies like Circle in the USDC market are having is really like a witness of what I'm saying. On the other more advanced use cases that have to do with the intersection of stable coins and uh, governments, I'm a little less skeptical. I'm a little more skeptical because to me, they don't solve the main issue that we're having, which is adoption. And so if you think about everything that is cascaded from the top to the bottom, what it requires is companies to be part of a, of, of, of a new uh, innovation that has come up. And so don't know, take uh, uh, real-time payments. While I believe it's a great innovation that some companies will use and that we power, we're very proud to power, I still think that after some time, there's only 26 banks on that network in the US for the most part. 
And so to me, that explains the difference between an innovation top-down versus bottom-up. And it's really where the conversation is going to settle, in, in my opinion, right? So the more I think about, the more I end up saying, what is the model that is more bottom-up versus what is a model which is, which is top-down? Right. Um, on CDBC specifically, um, I haven't, I feel it didn't develop like a super strong point of view yet, but I do think that it doesn't solve one of the biggest issues that I think um, um, this this, prop, this this token should have, which is this concept of the relationship between uh, uh, the, the balance sheet and, and the nativity of the token on, on, on a network that is publicly available. It's kind of a, it seems to be a trade-off between the two. I recently got more passionate about this concept of tokenized deposits, which is effectively, I'm not going to go into the detail, but it's this concept where instead of tokenized new money, tokenizing new money, which is heavy on the balance sheet of uh, some companies like banks, then you take deposits, you tokenize them, and you do something with the stablecoin, and the stablecoin is backed by the deposit, which is already uh, has to be treated according to some capital requirements, capital ratios, et cetera. So to me, that's a better concept, but still the problem of fundamental adoption and standard stays. And so I do believe that stablecoin will have a longer life than a new entity called like a CBC or something that is cascaded from the top to the bottom. One of the interesting things and uh, interesting aspects of Cross River's approach to crypto is the idea that you guys are a fintech for fintechs. To me, you know, you're building infrastructure, you're building APIs to allow other banks, other institutions, other fintech companies even uh, to build out sort of this end-to-end crypto functionality for its users. Could you talk about that approach rather than trying to create a walled-off ecosystem within Cross River to manage services? Indeed. Real trend of Cross River is that in our culture, um, we think that competing with our customers is never a good choice. And um, because the financial services are really this place where almost everyone has the same rules and is subject to the same regulation, um, we strongly believe in the value of partnering with our customers that are sometimes our customers and sometimes we see them as an extension of our company, almost like a distribution channel that verticalizes certain specific services. Um, so I think the back, back to what I was saying before, which is there's often misalignment between technology and policies. We want to give comfort on a third dimension, which is um, comp- competition it would be highly unfair to our customers to look at what they do and then come up with a similar use case. So really our success and our ethos is um, very authentic and it has to do with if we do our job right, solving the strongest uh, pain points that these customers have and giving them access to what banks can, uh, banks and only banks can do, then really we are empowering the industry to do whatever they want because anything, any use case will virtually be possible by virtue of working with the bottleneck, uh, which is us, for what we for what we enable them to do, right? Um, we're very excited about this positioning, actually. Um, there's no single day where we regret having taken that choice. And the only reason why uh, we have almost 100% retention rate is because of this mentality. And also because we solve the most pressing point of these companies. In the crypto world, it's true that the crypto world is evolving now and other players came to the market. It's true that um, there's always some clunky money movement that you can do to ensure that within the flow of money, there is the appropriate licensing. But I do believe that banks have a responsibility to 
teach the system how they uh, think about enabling a new use case, which is in this, in this case is crypto. There is some cost associated to that, which is what we do through the time we spend with regulators, the time we spend building the, the proper uh, mechanism of, of safety and soundness, uh, the proper compliance tool, the proper you know, interpretation of certain rules. There's a cost associated to that, but the package that you get is really an enabler and a lifeblood uh, service that would allow a certain company to get that product to the market and focus on what they're really good at, which is taking a use case, making it vertical and serve uh, the best needs of, of, of the most pressing needs of their customers. So speaking of regulation, obviously crypto, there's certain aspects of crypto banking that, that fall into a regulated environment. And there's still certain question marks around how crypto assets are going to be treated from a taxation perspective, you know, which agencies within government really have the ultimate authority on regulating crypto assets? Are they are they deemed securities? Are they deemed commodities? And, and where does that fall? What is your view on how crypto should be regulated and how it will be regulated? And do you think perhaps recent market volatility might uh, detract from uh, constructive conversations on crypto regulation? I have two conflicting narratives to answer your question. The first one is that the current market situation is an argument for bringing regulation to the market in, in a very thoughtful way. And the other one is maybe what you were referencing, which is some people are going to look at what's happening in the market the wrong way and take it as a chance to like label the entire industry. To me, the framework of what's happening in the market, it's very clear, which is some centralized institutions which lacked the proper regulation for almost unbelievable reasons, right? Caused um, most of this market turmoil. And I feel very strong about it. I'm not aware of Compound or Aave or any of these protocols causing any of the damage in the market. I'm aware of centralized lenders who were attracting deposits, maybe without even being able to do that, and doing very poor treasury management strategies um, that almost didn't care about any of the possible negative implications because it was not their money, right? Um, so to me, to me, the answer to what causes this problem is very clear. The question is, are people going to be able, are regulators, people, operators going to be able to look at the market the right way and intervene with when it's needed? Or the people who do not understand crypto, do not understand the risks and do not understand uh, the proper mitigants to that are going to take it as an opportunity to say, I told you, and then they are going to, uh, you know, stop most of the activities that can be done. I'm very confident. I think the regulators we talk to um, are doing um, a, a good job at understanding, I try to understand the needs of, of the operators with some exceptions, I would say, but even those exceptions are exceptions, right? Treated as individuals who maybe release a statement that may not be accurate or something like that. But for the most part, I think regulators are trying, generally try to figure out I was hoping for a little better, uh, like for slightly faster, you know, like activity and clarity, uh, but I still appreciate themselves trying and not being too invasive in the way companies uh, can operate. I'm really hoping for some margin of errors that is given to companies so that they can actually genuinely learn about how, how uh, the market uh, works. I, I still think we got some good indication of what is a commodity versus what is a security for some of the most important uh, tokens, which I think I consider 
a very important step forward. Um, I do think that from an outsider standpoint, it's fairly uh, easy to spot what's definitely a security, right? Or um, yeah, versus um, there's still gray area around what's uh, what maybe could be a security under a very restrictive view and not. Uh, but I do think for the most part, I feel very good about what we can do. And in we, I, I put all the regulated institutions. And if anything, I would say uh, this market crash is maybe an argument for why you need regulated players in the entity, or maybe an argument for why you need fully decentralized uh, um, you know, entities. And I think it's settled in the one place that I liked, uh, that I like, which is, um, I don't think there is a, um, there's going to be any battle between the fully regulated and the fully unregulated and decentralized. I think they're going to evolve in two different and parallel tracks. And over time, they will converge. But for the time being, I think they will evolve uh, very strongly and very fast on, on parallel rails, which I think is the end of my argument for um, what I think is going to be the trade-off between regulated and unregulated, even in the context of this market volatility. No, it's it's a great point that it's the centralized uh, entities that are the ones causing this contagion and this market sell-off largely. Certainly, there are macro headwinds that you would expect would weigh on, on risk assets, which I think Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto assets generally continue to trade as risk assets for the time being. Uh, but it's really, like you said, the Celsius is of the world. I think Three Arrows has been a huge wake-up call for a lot of people. Every day, we hear a new story of a exchange or a counterparty that that is owed hundreds of millions of dollars potentially by uh by someone like three arrows so it's it's a very complex situation that i think a lot of the entities that are currently in the crosshairs were sort of daisy chained together they were trading with each other they were earning yield off each other and ultimately needed to be unwound do you think the sort of the cleansing that we're going through within crypto markets right now is ultimately going to be healthy and allow the industry you know to have this wake up call and and proceed forward in a, in a healthier uh, environment with less, you know, risk embedded in the system. You know, I think when people say um, uh, it's good or bad for the industry, it's very hard to understand what lens they're using to determine success of the industry. I think if we're speaking from the only point of view of like prices, uh, I think in the short term it's inevitable that it's bad news, right? Because it's it's regardless of what we like to say or what we like to think, like. Uh, more risk causes more leverage, more leverage causes more risk, and, and so on. It's a self-reinforcing negative spi uh, net spiral that has the only, if you want to call it, benefit of pushing the prices up. So I think that narrative is is compromised by this uh, um, wave of of uh, you know like of of liquidation that is that is putting the market down, right? And so I think for the time being, we're not going to see a new wave of insane leverage. Not Right, but I do think that the way we look at it is maybe the same way we look, we look other companies look at it. And I think there is one data point that we loved about this this big crash, which makes me very hopeful about the technology and the asset class. So, right, the two blocks, the two two of the three uh, buckets that I highlighted before, which is to me is insanely uh, powerful and 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 empowering that there is a new asset class called Bitcoin. The move from $69,000 all the way down to, I can't remember, 17, 18, over a short period of time, executing trading 24-7 globally with no major disruptions in major, in maybe any of the liquidity providing services, 
that makes it a fantastic as a class to start thinking about the new use cases, especially lending. And if I overlap that information with this paper that I read time ago that says that 25%, don't quote me on the number, but 25% of the previous financial crisis in the real estate market was driven by the time that it took to process the information, that do the paperwork and transfer this paperwork. Where if you start overlapping these two things, to me, the reason to believe in Bitcoin and in crypto in general as a native asset class, that is not only uh, one thing. So it's not just a store of value. It's not just a inflation edge. It's not just, uh, you know, like a medium of exchange, but it may be a combination of those depending on the time, right? When I think that to me is the most encouraging data point that I'm leaving this industry or sorry, that I'm leaving this uh, crash with. In 2018, when a similar crash happened, to be honest, being an operator in the business made me question whether there would be a tomorrow for crypto. I don't think that anyone in the crypto space feels the same way now. And it's an encouragement to keep building. Institutions like these crashes because it allows them to do better risk modeling because there's more data points. It allows them to attract the best talent that instead would leave for very promising early stage startups in, in periods of unlimited liquidity. And, um, and third, uh, reinforces the commitment that only companies that have the ability to survive these crashes will stay there and will feel stronger about it. So I do believe that is a cycle. It's like institutions get to the market, either with technology or money, that attracts new capital, that attracts new startup, and then the cycle starts back. And maybe this is the moment in time where crypto ends up being mainstream. I don't know what mainstream exactly means. No one has defined what the number is, but starts being on, on you know, like in the hands of more and more people, which is the way I define mainstream. How much do you think payments uh, will be a use case that becomes mainstream, whatever that means uh, for crypto? We've started to see some pilots of USDC payments on Solana, USDC payments on Algorand, things like that. Uh, do you think, Crypto assets in general are going to start to, to grab more market share in the payment space? I do have almost two, um, even here, like two parallel narratives here. One is the people who want to pay with crypto, and the other one is the people who want to be paid in crypto. The people who want to pay in crypto, I think, is split into two. The first one being normal commerce powered by crypto. And I don't think we're seeing much of this. The second one is pay with crypto for crypto native use cases. And now we're seeing a lot of it. I think everyone thinks of NFT marketplaces, right, for that. So definitely that vertical is going to grow and grow and grow. It's a little unfortunate that the metric is often expressed in dollars, right? But it would be helpful to know. I know it's available, uh, but think in terms of like percentage and growth would be more helpful in terms instead of just dollars, but whatever. And then the case of being paid in crypto, I'm not seeing many merchants wanting to be paid in crypto unless they're crypto native, again, same thing. But I'm seeing a lot of merchants asking why they cannot be paid in stable coins so that the money gets there one minute after the, the, the transaction is complete instead of three days and four over the weekend. So back to your question, I think the number is gonna grow double or triple digit every year. No questions there. The question will be, can we start thinking of the use cases where crypto becomes something that you 
progressively move away from fully centralized entities into some place that you control more and more and more, right? Maybe through a, a wallet that you have at least partial keys for. And then that wallet starts becoming your source of intelligence for um, money, investments, pay, um, identity, uh, KYC, and, and all of these. It's going to take some time, but I do think that's the direction we're going. Well, Luca, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Again, I think Cross River is very lucky to have you leading their crypto efforts. And, and the bank in general, I think, is extremely forward thinking uh, in the open architecture that is building its infrastructure and helping to enable other uh, players, partners in the space to continue to offer crypto services to their clients as well. But thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me and good luck with everything. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's Salt Talk on the Salt Crypto Show with Luca Constantino, the head of crypto at Cross River. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous Salt Talks, you can access them all on our website on demand at salt.org backslash talks. You can also uh, access them on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. Uh, also, anywhere you listen to podcasts, these are available in audio format as well. We're on social media. Twitter is where we're most active at Salt Conference but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And please spread the word about these SALT Talks. Again, we love educating people about uh, what's happening in the digital asset space outside of just price. You know, People like to focus on price, but there's so much innovation taking place with entities like Cross River. Uh, but on behalf of the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.